You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. Many years ago, um, there were a series of defining moments in my life, and those defining moments were being present at the birth of all three of our children. And uh, that was just a a rich experience for me. I'm convinced that after seeing uh, my wife give birth to three children, that women are made of iron, and they are incredibly tough and have incredibly high pain thresholds, and we'll leave it at that. But I remember when our son was born, um, he is our middle child, and when he was born, um, it was something I'll never forget. I'll never forget any of our kids' births. But with him in particular, the umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck. And so he was in distress. And so they delivered him very, very quickly when this was beginning to happen. And I remember that the, the whole vibe of the room changed. We had one doctor who was doing the delivery and a nurse who was there. And that instantly changed to two doctors and four nurses in a very quiet room. And they um, were giving him oxygen, and, and thankfully he responded to that. And, uh, but he, when he initially was delivered, he was almost blue. And so it was very concerning, really traumatic for us as, as, a, as a mom and dad, for sure. But thankfully he was okay. And I remember as we're kind of settling from that, and his family began to come in, and, and friends, our pediatrician came in later that day, and she checked him out and said, yeah, he looks great. And, and then she, she walked over to us and said, so... What would you like to do about circumcision? And I remember thinking, what? That's a decision we have to make, and that's, that's still a thing. And, and today we come to the passage that declares that God's people do need to be circumcised. In particular, the males of, of God's covenant community need to be circumcised as a physical sign of the covenant and commitment and relationship that they're entering into with with God. So does that still apply today? Do you have to be circumcised in order to be a Jesus follower, in order to be a Christian? And this question was asked and answered some 2,000 years ago. As we jump forward to the New Testament in Acts chapter 15, this very question was posed and it was answered, no, no. You don't have to be physically circumcised in order to enter into and be a part of the kingdom of God, to be part of God's family. However, what the New Testament does talk a lot about is this reality of spiritual circumcision. For instance, in Romans 2, it calls it the circumcision of the heart. And that is something you have to have in order to enter into the kingdom of God in order to be in right relationship with God, in order to be one of God's kids. So what in the world is circumcision of the heart? What is spiritual circumcision? And as we look at this passage now, in Genesis chapter 17, where physical circumcision is introduced, physical circumcision always looked down the road to the reality of spiritual circumcision. So we're going to be able to answer this question in this very passage that we're looking at today. So I'm going to read this passage to you. We're doing the whole chapter. So there's quite a few verses here. But I want you, as you listen to this or as you read this on your phone or your tablet or your hardcover Bible, to ask yourself the question, what is spiritual circumcision? Because this passage actually talks about that. 
So let's look at this together. Genesis chapter 17, as we pick up our story once again. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. And then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. And this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight years old must be circumcised. Eight days old including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people, for he has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife... You are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her, and I will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. And Abraham fell face down, and he laughed, and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. And on that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them, as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13. And Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day, and every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. Now, we could spend weeks on this passage. There is so much here for us, and we're going to spend a morning on it. So we've got a lot of ground to cover here, but for those of you who have been keeping track in our 
walk through Genesis here, this is the fourth time God appears to Abram. It has been 24 years since this last happened. Over two decades since God has appeared to him. And how does God introduce himself to Abram? This is a name that will be used for God repeatedly now from here, but this is the first time it's used. God Almighty. In the original language, this is El Shaddai. And this comes from a word in the original language that means mountain. This quite literally is the mountain of a God. Now, what comes to mind when you think of mountains? Man, they're, they're mighty. They're huge. They're strong. And that's what's being conveyed here. This is the strong, mighty God. But there's another flavor to this in that this is also the capable God, the competent God. And I wonder why God very deliberately would introduce himself to Abram once again at this time in this, in this way. And this is just my speculation, but I wonder, could it be, could it be that Abram was questioning whether God really knew what he was doing? I mean, think about this with me. Where we left off last week in Genesis 16, Abram and Sarai try to speed God's promise along and they proverbially take matters into their own hands and Sarai comes up with this idea that she's going to give Hagar, her maidservant, to Abram and hopefully Abram will get her pregnant and she can have a son that way to fulfill this promise that God doesn't seem to be fulfilling and so that's what happens. Hagar gets pregnant, Ishmael is born and it's a disaster. Now this family is incredibly conflicted. There's open hostility between Hagar and Sarai and it's an absolute mess because in this instance, they did take matters into their own hands and these are the consequences that begin to play out as a result. What do you think those next 13 years were like for that family? Conflict, hostility, dysfunction with a capital D. And now God appears once again, and, and I wonder, I'm, just, I'm wondering in all this, if Abram is questioning whether God really knows what he's doing. He's 99 years old and still no son. Sarah is way past, way, way past, decades past the possibility, humanly, of, of having a child. How is this going to work? And God shows up and declares himself to be the strong God and the capable God, And I think, clearly communicating the competent God who knows exactly what he's doing, who is fully capable of fulfilling his promise. You ever question whether God knew what he was doing with your life? The things that come your way or don't come your way, the things you've hoped for, the things you've been waiting for that haven't happened? Awfully easy to begin to wonder, God, do you know what you're doing? And yet God's very name here absolutely asserts in the most powerful way possible, yeah, I'm the strong God, I'm the mountain of a God, and by the way, I am competent, I am capable, and I do know what I'm doing. I wonder if that's what God is trying to communicate here to Abram. But regardless, this is what we do know. He says, you need to walk before me, and you need to be blameless in this commitment that we are making to one another. 
that idea of walking before, you need to be openly faithful to me with your life and blameless. You need to have integrity. You need to deal with your brokenness accordingly. And then God does something so profoundly powerful. He changes their names. And we've seen this reality in Scripture that just like with the names of God, names of people mean something as well. They say something about your character, about your present, even possibly about your future. And what does he change their names to? Abram now becomes Abraham. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means the father of many nations. He goes from being daddy to big daddy. That's literally what the name means there. Sarai goes from princess to Sarah, which also means princess. But this is the significance here. When she was Sarai, she was princess with a little p. Now she's going to be Sarah, princess with a capital P. Because literally royalty is going to come from her descendants. It's a remarkable thing that God's doing here. Because really, their name change indicates a change in identity which really indicates a significant change that's happening in their life their present is going to change and their future is going to change and look at the incredible promises he gives them i will make you fruitful nations and kings will come from you this will be an everlasting covenant commitment that i will make to you and your descendants for generations to come and by the way this land i keep promising to you you really are going to get to have it but not just you, all your descendants after you, and I will be their God. It is an unbelievable collection of promises. Which brings us to us now. Who is the ultimate king? The king of kings who will come eventually from Abraham and Sarah. It is Jesus Christ. Christ. He is already once again being referenced and alluded to and promised in these very passages that we're looking at here. That's who is eventually going to come to fulfill all the promises of God. What does this mean for you and me? Well, as we jump forward to the New Testament where it begins to talk about spiritual circumcision, a circumcised life, it says this, if you belong to Christ, If you know Jesus as your God, as your Lord and Savior, you are what? Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This reaches all the way back to what we're looking at here today. If you're God's kid, in a sense, you're Abraham's kid. You are a child by faith in the Son of God through knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior and by receiving him into your life. You become God's kid and you become connected to Abraham. You're one of Abraham's descendants who's being promised here in this very, in this very passage. It's so very cool. And when God is speaking to an audience of Jews who think that physical circumcision is what makes you right with God and a part of God's family, He says this, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Physical circumcision was always intended to be a sign that pointed to to this covenant, to this commitment that God was making to the people. But underlying that, at the heart of that, was relationship with God. The bottom line is, do you know God? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? Have you received Jesus 
into your life because when that happens, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says the old is gone and the new has come. You, you are a new creation like is being talked about here. So let's go there for you and me. Is he your God? When did you receive him? What was that like for you? And how has he changed your life? What does he mean to you now? Here are a couple stories that celebrate the hope and life change, the new creation that happens when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. I just had this overwhelming desire to know for sure that I was going to heaven. Some people go to college um, with, with different goals or different mindsets, and, and I went to college and became a Christian, um, which I think is the opposite of what some people do. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Um, I was already coming from a place where I felt like um, the world was broken, or I, I knew that there was something wrong, uh, something wrong with me, uh, something wrong with my family uh, of origin, something wrong with uh, the way the world um, was working. When my parents left and dropped me off at Montana State, I uh, ended up running into some students, some older students down um, in front of my dorm, and I filled out a little survey and completely forgot about it after that point. Um, and on my first day of class, I got a phone call. I immediately thought, man, I can't believe you actually called me. Ended up sitting down with me and asking me questions that nobody had ever asked me before. Man, it just clicked. Believing in this God who created the world, who saw the brokenness and was so... hurt um, with the people. I think, I think God shares the hurt and the brokenness and, and then to come up with the solution on his own, to take it upon himself and, and pay my penalty for the brokenness that I carry within me every day. Um, I mean, there was no other way. Like, it just... It just made sense. When I was eight, was at VBS, and I just had this overwhelming desire to know for sure that I was going to heaven. I went and talked to one of the VBS leaders, and they um, led me to Christ. After I had done it, I had peace. Like, I just, I knew that um, I was saved and that I would be going to heaven and that um, it was just, it was joy and relief that um, I knew for sure. When I was younger, it was more of I'm going to heaven, but to actually have a relationship with Jesus and really focus on that, it was not until um, my mid-twenties that I really focused on that and, and really felt like that was something that I was working at. What brings me back to Jesus 
um, day to day is his um, provision, seeing how he takes care of me and the actual evidence that he answers prayer. My relationship with Jesus, I really do call it a walk. It's, it's um, got hills and it's got valleys, um, and it takes work. Reading the Bible, praying, and just worshiping, um, being with other believers and just putting, it's just putting in time. It's like any other relationship, you have to make an effort to do it, but it's worth it. I think Jesus matters because um, he's the only thing out there that offers hope. When I fail in my day-to-day -day life, it would be easy to be defeated. It would be easy to be depressed. It would be easy to, to quit, to give up, um, to, to lack purpose, to um, stay in my own bubble. Um, and I think, I think that's the difference Christ makes, is I can wake up every day that there's, that there's hope, that Jesus agrees with me, that, that uh, this isn't how it's supposed to be, and that there's better. There's better for you. There's better for me. Um, there's better for, for the entire world. This is my story. This is my story. It's different and unique. Completely unique. From anyone else's. But all of our stories are part of God's greatest story. And, and it's, it's not, not over yet. yet. I love to hear stories of life change. Of people who know God. Not just know about Him, but know Him. And that is the miracle of new life that that we see here. And if you're not sure you've had this experience that you, that you know God, that he's your God, please don't, let's not part ways today before you talk with one of us. Come talk to our prayer teams. Come talk to me. Um, come talk, talk with the person who brought you. We, we want you to know this God because that's what life truly is all about is, is knowing and experiencing and enjoying God. In fact, one of the things I'm hoping that we can do after our third hour today when we set out a bunch of snacks over here and, and hang out as a church is to just exchange Jesus stories of how has he come into your life? What difference has he made in your life? I hope, hope you can stick around for that. I know that's a ways still down the road this morning, but grab a coffee in the cafe after this service. Go get brunch and then come on back and join us because it's really going to be a great time because the reality of a new life is a new identity and this so matters and is so important because there is a constant battle going on for your heart and your identity and, and mine we live in a culture that is constantly assaulting our identity and trying to define for us who we are we watch commercials that tell us if you own this car then you're going to be a complete person. You're going to be happy. You're going to be fulfilled. You're going to look cool. You know, and on and on it goes, right? Or this wonderful thing of social media, as wonderful as it is, it, it has its baggage as well, right? We, we go on any social media platform and you see people writing about or taking pictures of this incredible life they're living and these trips they're taking and you wonder, you know, why isn't my life like that? In fact, I read an article recently that was coaching people who were nearing retirement age that once they did retire, to make sure that they 
moderated their time on Facebook or other social entities because they'd see these people who would be having all these amazing experiences and trips and there's this phenomenon of people completely spending through their retirement because they're proverbially trying to keep up with the Joneses. And and so what are they doing? Well, in all these examples, we are allowing our culture to define for us who we really are. And that is at the heart of this is who are you? Who am I? Who does God say we are? Because in this incredible story that we're looking at here, God not only gives them a new identity, but he removes something from them. Reproach is this idea of shame and disappointment and discouragement. This mountain of a God is now going to remove from them the shame and the pain and the difficulty and the heartache of childlessness. In fact, he's commanding them to institute physical circumcision for all the males in the community so they would have a physical reminder of God fulfilling his promise and keeping his part of the covenant that that they're entering into with him. him. But very practically what this means is their past is no longer going to define them. Is that true for you? I mean, how many of us have things we regret, brokenness, things that make us feel guilty, that cause us shame, that try to define our reality, that try to define our presence, our present, I should say. You know, it's that voice that comes to us and says, you're never going to change. You'll always be like that. If people only really knew who you were, There's no hope for you. What I can tell you, my friends, unequivocally is that is not the voice of the Holy Spirit. That is the voice of an enemy who would love to keep you mired and stuck in your brokenness and remind you of that. God is the only one who can remove our brokenness and our shame and the weight that comes from those things. This last week I had um, another one of those defining moment experiences that I don't think I'll ever forget. After this service, someone came up to me who I thought I recognized, but I couldn't quite place them. You ever done that before? You look at someone and you start talking, I know you, but I don't remember your name, but I remember you kind of a thing. And this guy is is talking to me and he says, yeah, you knew me from a, a past life. I said, Really? And as we began to talk, I realized this cannot be who I think it is. And it was. This was one of the very first middle school students that I had ever discipled as a middle school pastor some 25 years ago. He was one of the first generation of students I'd ever been able to really invest myself into and mentor and spend significant time with. And I'll spare you the details because they don't really matter, but 25 years ago, he did something that quite frankly, was a betrayal of my trust in him, a betrayal of the church's trust in him, and was very wrong and very painful. And although reconciliation and forgiveness were extended at the time, he felt so shamed and so broken over what he'd done, he just, he went off the radar. And I never saw or heard from him ever again. And then last Sunday, 
25 years later, he's standing right there. And he said, I sought you out after all these years for one reason. I have this weight that I have been carrying for 25 years. I know that I wronged you. I know that I wronged our church. And I came to ask you if there is any way you could find in your heart the willingness and the ability to forgive me. I said, of course I forgive you. I forgive you. And as we continued to talk, he sat up a little straighter. And when he walked out, he stood a little taller. Because quite literally, this weight of shame and guilt had been lifted off of him. In the New Testament, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says this, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Only the El Shaddai mountain of a God can truly lift the weight of your shame and my shame and our brokenness off our shoulders and offer us true forgiveness and a second chance. And that's exactly what this God does. And this is a God who wants to bless your life and mine. And he loves to bless obedience. Abraham is such an incredible example of obedience to us in this passage. Look what he does. God comes to him and tells him to do this act to himself, his son, all the men in his household. And it says that very day Abraham did it. He immediately responds with obedience. And that is such a great example for us because when God tells us to do something now, his timing is always now. It's never pray about it, think about it, consider it, weigh out your options, decide if you really want to do it. When God calls us to obedience now, it means now. And what he promises to us is, I will bless you if you will obey me. But here's the other side of that, and it's captured in this language we looked at, but I will not bless brokenness. Partial obedience is still disobedience. And the same voice that will come at us and try to define us by our broken past is the same voice that will come to us and will say, did God really say that? It's the same voice that will say, you know, it's okay if you don't obey here. Or here's how this language comes out and we hear it often in our culture. Well, God loves me anyway, so I'm going to do this. And this is the voice that tells us to use God's grace and the second and third and fourth and twentieth chances he gives us to obey as a license to continue to sin and be selfish and live out our brokenness. And our culture constantly gets this confused. The way this plays out in our culture is our culture takes acceptance and approval and makes them the same thing and they're not. And the way this language comes out is if you don't affirm me, if you don't approve of what I'm doing, then you don't accept me, and therefore you must hate me. And that's absolutely not true at all. God's acceptance of us is not based on our behavior. But as we looked at last week, it is based on how we respond to him as our Savior. 
Or to put it another way, God does not love us because of who we are and what we've done. He loves us because of who he is and what he has done. Jesus himself said, if you love me, you will obey me. We obey God not to earn his love, but because we have it. So are you? Are you obeying God? Or are you compromising by saying, well, this is okay, or God loves me anyway, so I'm going to do this anyway? That's not what God blesses. And sometimes it's really hard to obey him. Was it hard for Abram and Sarai to wait all those years for God to give them a son? Yeah, we've already seen that. There's no question about that, that that was incredibly difficult to obey God by waiting on him. Same is true for us. It is difficult to wait when God tells us to wait. It is difficult at times to obey. But we have to remember we're not alone. And that's a very beautiful picture here in this passage. Look at verse 23 and what it says here that very day Abram Abraham rather circumcises Ishmael himself and all the men in his household but look who's included here not just those who are ethnically his the ones who have been bought with money all those who are part of the community my friends this is a picture of the heart of God And I wasn't sure how to write this, so I took a stab at it this way, but there's a lot here. This is more than just hope of family. What we're beginning to see here, once again, is the heart of God that all people would be saved and would know him as the one true God. This is a picture of what we see in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 5, and what we're experiencing some of here today, that someday every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation will be worshiping God. Today we worship God in Spanish and English. Wait till heaven. This is a snapshot of what heaven is going to be like. And it's what we celebrate today. Because what's so ironic is that as exclusive as physical circumcision is intended to be, it is a sign, a physical sign that identifies God's covenant people. Look who gets included as that covenant people. And look at the promises that have already been made. This is going to be incredibly inclusive That God is going to bless all people through Abraham, ultimately through Jesus Christ, who will come, who will be the Savior of all people, who will offer hope to all people, and who will offer this invitation to be part of his family to everybody. And it is remarkable. So who's your family? The people around you who know Jesus Christ are your family regardless of their ethnicity, their language, their socioeconomic status, their level of education, what sport teams they like, and on it goes. For those of us who know and love Jesus, you are part of a family. And we live in a culture that is desperately looking for family to the point that they are redefining and reinventing family in order to find what they are looking for This is a need that runs through the heart of every single person because God created us to need him and to need each other and to need family. 
and family is what we celebrate here today as we bumble our way through English and Spanish together, trying to sing. And if you stick around for next service, trying to understand a sermon about circumcision in Spanish and English, you know? But there's one last part of the story I want to share with you. This former student who came to me last Sunday after this service, as we were talking and as God was blessing that that moment and that time together, he asked me, do you know why I came back to you? He said, it wasn't just to have this weight lifted off my shoulder and to hear you extend forgiveness to me as, as meaningful as all that is to me. He came back not because of the incredible teaching that he got in our times of mentorship and discipleship. He didn't come back because of the verses we had memorized and the wise things I had passed on to him. He came back because we played basketball together, because we played hide-and-go-seek in the church together, because we went out and I bought him hamburgers that were way too big for him to ever finish, because we took walks together, because we did life together. He came back because intuitively he knew that we were still family. Because I'd loved him. In fact, his very words were, those were the best years of my life because we were family. And that's what we celebrate here this morning. If you know Jesus, you've got a family. Irregardless of differences, irregardless of anything that you could say makes you different than them, we have a bond through Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to continue to celebrate here this morning. So as our worship team comes, and as we respond to this great God, our prayer teams will be off to the sides. We have communion off to the sides. Remind yourself of whose family you're a part of, of who your daddy really is. And let's celebrate a God who loves us and calls us out of darkness into light and gives us each other. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you are the God of all people, that you desire that all people would come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. And Lord, our prayer is that for those here who don't know you, that they would not leave here without knowing you, that they would respond to this God who once again comes to them and asks them to receive life, to trust him, to let him love them. And God, for those of us who do know you, would you remind us once again of who you are, what you've done, what you're doing and what you're going to do. Thank you, Lord, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we celebrate the God who calls us into his family. And we pray this in Jesus' name, in your name. Amen. 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 Our God is able. He is the mountain of a God who keeps his promises, always does what he says he will do, removes shame and guilt, offers forgiveness and life and family and community. So go out and have a coffee or go to our cafe and have a coffee. Even better, go have brunch. Come back at 10 till 1. 
because we're going to have a time after the third hour, this next hour, to just hang out and be together as a church family. We hope that you'll get to be a part of that. With a church our size, we don't get to do potlucks. We're just too big to do that. Somewhere in Scripture it says where there are two or more Baptists, there's a potluck. I don't know where that is, but we're going to do the next best thing and have snacks. So please come back and join us. But I want to leave you with this reality and this promise. This is out of Galatians. It says this, So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Listen to this next verse. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We're family. And if you've chosen to receive Jesus into your life today, welcome to the family. And if you haven't yet, what in the world are you waiting for? Come talk to one of us. Talk to our prayer team. We would love to see you step over from death to life because that's what Jesus does. And I want to pray his blessing over us as we prepare to go from here. Lord, I thank you that once again, your kingdom has been on display this morning as we have come to worship you in different languages, different cultures, different places. And yet, God, we are one through you. And Lord, we ask that as we go from here into this culture that so desperately needs you, that is looking for you in so many broken ways, that God, we would be your truth and your grace. That you would give us opportunity to tell someone about you this week. That we would live a distinct life for you. A life devoted to you. A circumcised life. So that we can point others to you because of what you've done for us. We love you, Lord, and we thank you that you are with us in Jesus' name. Amen. So go and live for him, and we hope to see you next Sunday, and we hope to see you in about an hour and a half. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.